Ladies and gentlemen, you are approaching the boardroom. Presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 1063 and the free ESPN app. For the next hour, Ken Levick is your guide for a behind-the-scenes look at the business of sports. Now, let's be quiet as we enter the boardroom. Take it away, Ken. Does the college football playoff actually work anymore? What's the latest on the bowl games, the cancellations, and what is the weirdest college football season we have ever experienced? Well, we're about to tell you. It's the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic here on ESPN 106.3. I'm Ken Levicka alongside the sports professor, Rick Harlan. For the next hour, it's sports business. It's what we do, and we take a deep dive into it. ESPN 106.3, free ESPN app, and on your smart speaker, coming to you from the Phillips Point Studios in downtown West Palm Beach. Rick Haro is the sports professor. You follow him on Twitter at Rick Haro. You hear him all over nationally syndicated radio. He is on Reuters International, and you see him Fox Sports Florida and Sun Sports, and he is my sidekick every Wednesday night here on the boardroom. Rick, uh, what what holiday traditions uh, do you follow here in the week leading up to our holiday? Who's the sidekick, Tonto? Which one? Who's the sidekick? Well, that would Which be, one is the sidekick? Let me reverse that. Yes, I am. I'm simply <laughs> along for the ride. No, hey, listen, that's not the case. Uh, you know, cheers to us. We're going to blow it up even bigger in 2021. Yep. Uh, next week, a little uh, uh, shameless plug. We're going to do. 2420, which was uh, difficult to do, but we'll see if we can get it in there and re- do what we can review. But for this week, I've got a trivia question for you. What is the first city in the 2020 bowl season to host two bowl games during the bowl season this year? That would be, I believe, Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, isn't that amazing that we set that up beforehand? But <laughs> but I know it used to be the Fenway Bowl, and now it's in uh, the Camellia Bowl is, is happening uh, Friday, Christmas Day. You've got the uh, FAU deal at the Montgomery Bowl. And I guess my question off the air was, do they change the name to the Montgomery Bowl as a subsidy? Because that's what the city would do, yeah. getting television exposure. And, uh, you know, rescuing it from Boston for a year or longer, it's a strange season. Those kinds of things are happening all year. Who'd have thought the Rose Bowl is being played in yeah. in, uh, in in Arlington, Texas? Exactly. And so you ended up two days ago having four Bulls canceled because of so many opt-outs from teams throughout the country. But you had a potential disaster with 9-2 and two Army uh, being outside looking in of a bowl game because they were tied into the Independence Bowl. It got canceled because seven Pac-12 teams have opted out. They almost didn't play, but 2-8 and eight South Carolina, 3-7 and seven Mississippi State did, and finally the Liberty Bowl comes through because of COVID issues with Tennessee, and it's going to be Army and West Virginia. That is the perfect synopsis of college football in 2020, that situation right there. Steve Earhart, um, who is a good friend of mine, helped with the Tennessee Titans, who, remember, spent a couple of years in Memphis yep. on the way from Houston, and he is Mr. Liberty Bowl. He's become the chairman of the Liberty Bowl committee. He's been a good friend. And we texted each other, and, and his head was exploding. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, how do, you, how do you keep Army out? How do you get Army in? What do you do with Tennessee? What do you do with the fans? You know, fans will travel a little bit, but, uh, again, it, with COVID, and it really directly depended on how many fans would get into the uh, stadium or not. And then a lot of these bowls where you have to realize – that the traveling party can only be the size of the players and their families. A lot of the coaches are saying, well, if you don't allow the families, we're not going to let the players play. 
and that was the leverage they used. It helps with recruiting. But, uh, you know, you're not going to allow a lot of people to go to the uh, hotel site, hang around, just to hang around if they don't have tickets. So a lot of issues in COVID that are entirely new, and, and everybody's saying, you know, as we're going to say to next week, 2020, be gone with you. Yeah, without question. And we'll get into the 15 and 15 in just a moment. Riccaro, 15 biggest sports stories of the week, and he breaks them down in 15 minutes' time. Uh, but gnashing of teeth and outrage, and I get it, over the college football playoff because we might as well have not played championship Saturday. The teams that were top four going in ended up being the top four that will be playing in the college football playoff semifinals on New Year's Day. Uh, does the college football playoff, in your opinion, Rick, have a perception problem now? Well, yeah, but everything has a perception problem, and the perception problem is, should be easily uh, changed by people understanding it's 2020, so, you know, give it a break. Uh, assess it next year. The only perception problem I had day one is uh, it would have taken an extraordinary amount of work, but people were willing to roll up their sleeves and try to look at the existing contracts and maybe turn it into eight games that became the de facto playoff this year. And that would have allowed Coastal Carolina, it allowed a lot of teams that would have had a moment in the sun, Cincinnati, and would have never done it again. I mean, one of the problems yeah. this year is that it isolates everybody uh, finally saying, look, you know, you say that if you're not Power 5, you can get in. Well, you can't. If any year, this would have been the year, and you didn't. So uh, the, the only perception issue I had is that it would have been a nice year to attempt to go to 8 and maybe 16. Uh, but people still don't understand the difficulties of the contracts and the sponsors and the tie-ins with the bowl games and and uh, you know we talked about Steve Earhart and Liberty Bowl and how many how many teams opt in, opt in out opt out the Independence Bowl and what it, what it took all of the teams all the way down the road couldn't couldn't do it well you'd have you'd have multiplied that by the way times 32 teams and 16 spots or eight and 16 respectively and you realize how difficult it would have been but I guess my point is they didn't even try. Well, and that's, that is the main idea, and you absolutely nail it. This would be the year to get a Cincinnati at 9-0 and or a Coastal Carolina at 11-0 and in, and instead they finish 8th and 12th respectively in the college football playoff rankings, and that leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and again, understandably so. Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. He is Ricardo, the sports professor. I'm Ken Levicka, and Rick, let's go ahead and get into our 15 in 15. Number one, the NBA season opens this week and segmented in half seasons for 2020-2021. Yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, the whole week is an opening week, and it's not just the games, it's the betting. 25 sports books in the U.S. and seven abroad officially authorized to make this the league of betting. Yahoo Sports working with BetMGM. Sinclair-owned RSNs going into business with Bally's. The pace of integration between sports books and sports media bound to accelerate accelerate in 2021. What you have is an entirely new revenue outlook and revenue stream. You also have 60 days between the Lakers winning the NBA Finals and Charles Barkley starting anew this year. And I don't know if the world is ready for 60 days of a relaxation between old Charles and new Charles. We're just going to have to do. <laughs> Uh, that'll be exciting. Uh, number two, the NFL money-making machine and the potential new TV rights deal is astronomical. Well, you know, everybody's speculating right now, but CBS and Fox are set to keep Sunday afternoon games. NBC wanting to retain Sunday night. ESPN 
added to the Super Bowl rotation to increase distribution via ABC as part of their Monday night deal. They'll add them to the Super Bowl rotation, which means they'll go out for a 10-year deal, two Super Bowls per network, which means two times four is eight. And then two may be auctioned to the highest bidder, meaning ESPN Plus, Amazon, Apple. It could be $1.5 billion per year exclusive digital deal with AT&T, but $100 billion overall in 10 years. Uh, what a country. Let's go to number three. The granddaddy of them all is about to play in the stadium of the granddaddy of the Cowboys. The Rolls Bowl is on the way to Texas. First time, by the way, since uh, 1942 when the Rose Bowl was played in Durham, North Carolina in the wake of Pearl Harbor. We've said that before, but it's moving because the CFP management committee said we need to play a game in a venue that would allow at least family and friends of the participants to be in attendance. That was something that was very important to the committee and the participants. And that ended up being the fundamental reason why it's being played at AT&T Stadium. The Rose Bowl wouldn't have let anybody into the Rose Bowl, and it would have been an eerie scene. But without family, you got to make the next move. So, you know, good for the reason behind the move. Let's stick with the Texified Rose Bowl for number four here on the 15 and 15. Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic alongside the sports professor Rick Harrell. I'm Ken Levicka. Capital One is the presenting sponsor of the Rose Bowl game. And is there risk to this because it's 2020 and it's in a new state? Well, yeah, but everything is a risk now. And it's dollars to the CFP and the Rose Bowl Committee, Alabama-Notre Dame hosting that game across ESPN and ESPN Networks, 107th Rose Bowl. But as I said, first time it was played uh, outside of Pasadena since 1942 when it moved to Durham because of the Pearl Harbor fears that there'd be another attack. And now you have a sponsor who's been involved in a lot of other bowls who has taken an icon and an institution on a one-year kind of here-it-is deal. They've got Taylor uh, uh, triggers for future years, but it will be a little bit of a marketing risk, but get used to it. Number five, border presented by the Honda Classic. We're within the 15 and 15. The Kiss Cam mobile app adapting to the pandemic and a pretty impressive showing virtually just recently. Well, yeah, they're adapting because they want to make sure that they are not limited to only uh, in-arena stuff. So they have contests, they have uh, sponsored frames, they have an app, and what they've done as a demonstration in a T20 series of matches in cricket in Dubai in October was to have a relationship during the IPL campaign, and they included all of the ad results. 48% of their ad reach developed into an engagement, which means people looked at it, decided they want to use it. Now that the Calcutta, Kolkata Knight Riders group comes to the U.S. to help with the formation of a new cricket league, uh, don't be surprised if Kiss Cam isn't right alongside. Number six in the 15 and 15, the old Nickelodeon show, you can't do that on television. Well, actually, you can. The NFL, CBS, and Nickelodeon teaming up for a January 10th wildcard game aimed at children. Uh, yeah, listen. The bottom line is um, Nate Burleson, Burleson, who is becoming a breakaway star at CBS, and Nick star Gabriel Neva Green and others are calling the action in the booth. Uh, 
uh, compilation special hosted by Denver Broncos Devon Miller. The NBA, incredibly NFL, incredibly intent on reaching a younger audience. And they're pulling out all the stops on January 10 at a wildcard game near you. Let's go to number seven. Let's switch to tennis. And the Australian Open will be delayed this year because of COVID-19. Yeah, February 8 to 21. They're moving it. they got to make sure they move other stuff. The qualifier moved to Doha Cutter on January 10 through 13. The Auckland ASB Champion Classic and the New York Open not taking place due to the pandemic. The ATP said it was attempting to secure new dates for the Rio Open, which is supposed to start on January 18. Strict quarantine rules left Tennis Australia locked in negotiations. What they wanted to do is make sure the qualifiers still had 14 days to break quarantine before the February 8th beginning. They're going to keep uh, deciding what they do with the wheelchair and women's sites of all of this to TBD. Let's go to the LPGA, and uh, that brings us to number eight here in the 15 and 15. And next year, we're going to have record prize money on the slate. Uh, yeah, uh, 76.45 million, 34 events scheduled across three continents uh, next year. Uh, Mike Wan talks about 2020 being a issue and a problem for everybody. Uh Reuters confirmed the prize fund for the 2020 season had been valued at 75.1 million. They'll distribute a record uh, a set of dollars down the road as they begin their 2021 season. Let's stick with golf for number nine. The European Tour is going to be a little bit different looking. Some different sites at different times, but a full international slate is coming in 2021. 42 tournaments, 24 countries between January and November, 18 events postponed or canceled in 2020. They'll all be there. The Rolex Series, the Abu Dhabi Championship, the Scottish Open, the World Tour Championship in Dubai. It's significant dollars. Eight million now will be nine million. Past Masters winner Danny Willett hosts the British Masters. They'll also increase prize money. New tournaments held in Tenerife and Gran Canaria, meaning that a lot more sites are chosen and the European Tour will be back. Border presented by the Honda Classic, 15 and 15. Rick Haro, the sports professor. I am Ken Lavica. Lacrosse, extremely popular here in South Florida. Premier Lacrosse League is merging with Major League Lacrosse. Rick, this feels significant. Well, it's going to be because there is uh, an indoor league, but that's not relevant to this conversation. The outdoor league... Uh, rebranding and Paul Rabel, the former MLL MVP, left the league in 2018 to launch the PLL with his brother. Now the three-year upstart league is essentially acquiring the 20-year-old incumbent. They've raised some money. They're going to be pretty strong, and the outdoor brand is here to stay and thrive. This is something you're going to be hearing an awful lot about as we get into number 11, but the College Athlete Bill of Rights, and it's in the Senate. This is just beginning. Just beginning, it was proposed this week by Cory Booker and Richard Blumenthal, two Democratic senators, that they create sweeping changes for college sports, provisions forcing some schools to share revenue with athletes, guarantee lifetime scholarships to athletes in good academic standing, establish health and safety rules enforced by significant fines for violators, and set up a fund to cover some out-of-pocket medical expenses for current and former athletes. The group 
is going to be governed by an organization of independent experts with $50 million in taxpayer funding for its first two years to take on a lot of the work of monitoring college sports. It's not through the Senate yet, and it's not law, but it's a step in the right direction. Let's go to number 12 in the 15 and 15, boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. He is Rick Haro. I am Ken Levicka. Paul Shapiro, legendary agent, coming up in just a couple of minutes. Baseball has wrapped its virtual winter meetings, and, man, the payroll numbers are pretty much non-existent. There was very little movement. Yeah, and Paul's going to talk about that from his baseball perspective. He represented Mike Schmidt and a whole lot of Phillies years ago, and and uh, listen, uh, you know, a lot of the superstars now are lamenting about 2020 and what happened. The payroll plunged to about $1.75 billion during the strike-shortened season from $4.22 billion. Well, first, you have to reduce it by 60 seconds because that was, you know, the number of games. But uh, MLB's unofficial salary cap, keeping big market ball clubs from spending and even though if it were prorated, it would have increased 4% last year, clearly nobody's making decisions about all this until there's more stability, like DH and the NL and otherwise. Let's stick with baseball number 13. The Oakland A's home ballpark after a couple of years of wrangling finally gets a title sponsor, Ring Central Coliseum. Ring Central approved a deal, a $3 million three-year naming rights deal. The former executive director was found to have sought a uh, finder's fee in violation of the state conflict of interest laws. They put the negotiations on ice. The interim director restarted it, and the result is a $450,000 upfront commitment and a $15,000 monthly payment during COVID. But here's the deal. Once the pandemic is under control and baseball games return to the Coliseum, Ring Central will pay $1.1 million each year over three years which is nice. But the big question is, do they get their new $522 million Oakland ballpark near Jack London Square, which changes all of this? Everybody in baseball is looking to see whether that gets done. And Oakland only has the A's with a professional sports franchise because the Raiders went off to Vegas. And, Rick, that has been very good for the checking accounts, for all involved with that organization. Well, of course, the Raiders' employees have to pay federal income taxes no matter what. But yet, California, one of the highest taxes in the U.S., a 13.3% tax on income that exceeds a million bucks. They don't have to pay that. Plus, NerdWallet, great company, says the cost of living in Vegas is 36% lower than Oakland. They want to use all the VIG there to throw it into slot machines. But it's more important than that. State sales tax is lower in Nevada. That 4.6% versus 7.25%. Obviously, as they say, what happens in Vegas stays there, especially money for the players and staff. Uh, number 15, as we wrap up the 15 in 15, Jay-Z is the consummate entrepreneur, and he takes another step towards that. His entertainment company, Rock Nation, will launch an imprint in partnership with the Random House Publishing Company called Rock Lit 101, One World Publisher and Editor-in-Chief. Chris Jackson oversees the imprint, along with others, uh, launching in summer 2021, along with the first titles, will be C.C. Sabathia's memoir, journalist Don Danielle Smith, Shine Bright, other books for children, other storytellers, innovators. The partnership isn't just about the books, it's about audiences. What do we want to find from new voices, new stories, new readers? A good thing to end the new year. We'll get new content in 2021. 
And that will do it for the 15 in 15. Next week here on the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, we'll expand it to 20 and we will do a 2020 year in review uh, with a sports year unlike anything that we have ever seen. Myself, Rick Haro, will attempt to put some sense to it next week here on the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. Uh, Paul Shapiro, he is a legendary agent. You have mentioned Mike Schmidt, someone who has represented some of the best in the game, and he has unique perspectives on sports as a whole. I found this conversation we're about to hear just extremely engaging, Rick. There's a lot in here. Well, look, he was one of the co-founders of the Sports Lawyers Association. I was just a kid. Um, he uh, <coughs> uh, and I kind of toiled under the same circumstances, which was there's no such thing as sports law or sports business, but we kind of prevailed. Now it's a $1.3 trillion business, as we know. Mike Schmidt, Bob Boone, other Phillies. He also represented a lot of other players. Became a businessman, not just a corporate lawyer. Uh, worked with the Sunbeam Corporation on the board with Toll Brothers and, and Paul. Also, uh, great golfer, uh, lives down here, uh, and uh, he is a really, really good friend. And uh, on this holiday season, it's pretty good to get somebody's perspective about where the last 50 years have been and where the next 50 years will be going. So Paul is somebody that's certainly worth your time. Well, uh, I will say as well, since we are headed to the holiday and we will speak one more time in this setting before we get to the new year, I feel fortunate as we approach the holidays to be working with you every single week and uh, uh, becoming a close friend and also learning a lot from you as well. So I appreciate it and I hope you have an outstanding holiday. Uh, You too, my friend. It's great working with you and we're exploring some things that hopefully people in South Florida will feel uh, is worth our while and onward and upward for 2021 but we'll deal with that next year absolutely and next week. yeah and i think that's an outstanding outlook on that but uh we got big things coming but when we come back in the immediate future it's paul shapiro legendary agent sitting down with rick haro it's the boardroom presented by the honda classic on espn 106.3 <laughs> Sports professor Rick Haro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. We have one of the all-time bests interviewed today as we look ahead to the next 50 years of the sports business. We have someone who's been around for 50 years, and not because he's old, but because he's seasoned and experienced. First met Paul Shapiro at the Sports Lawyers Association. He was a founding member, and I was involved. He represents Mike Schmidt, Bob Boone, a whole bunch of Phillies. Back when being a sports agent wasn't fashionable 50 years ago, but he took it to new heights and did metrics and analytics and did some things that nobody else did. He turned a businessman, has been running Sunbeam Company, had been on the board of Toll Brothers and a lot of other businesses, a great intersection of legal, sports, and business. But during the holiday season, Paul will give us some insight into where the business has gone over the last 50 years and what we expect for the next 50, assuming we'll all be around. I give you Paul Shapiro. Let's just talk about the business. You know, to be candid about it, uh, in 1970 or the 70s, when we were kicking around in our respective worlds, the only way you had uh, the designation of an agent is if you had some poor schlub that called you an agent. Um, You know, I was hanging around the law school, rejected by people at Harvard to write a thesis dealing with sports because, quote-unquote, there was no such thing as sports law. We've come a long way, clearly. And, uh, you know, from your perspective on all of this, 
what is the greatest change or changes uh, among many in the last 50 years? Well, I mean, first of all, it's the, the, the notion that sports has become a business and tends to be run today like a business. You could have called it a business in the, I mean, I think I first got involved around 1979 or 80. Um, you could have called it a business then, except in reality, uh, I was only involved in professional sports. Most professional sports, um, the only way the owners ultimately made money was to sell the franchises. You just, they kept going for more and more money because there were rich people that wanted to own one. Uh, to, and, and if you looked at their front offices at the business piece of baseball, for example, which was the, uh, the sport I was most involved in, a little bit of football, um, they, they had very few people in the front office. Uh, they had a general manager who was generally uh, extremely good uh, at picking talent and had scouts under, uh, under him. There were only hymns in those days. Uh, they had nothing like interns, which uh, today you have. And there was really no entry into the business of, uh, of sports, as you said, Rick, uh, except sheer luck. I mean, I got involved in it because I was chairman of a, of a wonderful charity in Philadelphia, the uh, Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic, which was a mental health facility for children and a teaching facility. And the center fielder of the Phillies, Gary Maddox, uh, made a publicity uh, visit, fell in love with the place, and started raising money for it. And uh, in that endeavor, I, you know, I met I met some players that Gary recruited, and particularly Mike Schmidt, to do a, a golf tournament at a club where I was Greens chairman. And that's how you got in. And guys like you, who were much younger, would show up at our meetings sometimes and say, you know, how can I get into this? And the answer was, you can't. It's just sheer luck. Uh, today, you're talking about billion-dollar businesses. They don't just have that kind of value. They have cash flow. They make money. Um, they have huge uh, business front offices, uh, staffs of people doing all kinds of things that just didn't exist uh, when we first got into this. When you think of all of that, uh, it is you know very clear that there is a trade-off. Today, there are tens of thousands of sports fans who think that uh, a master's degree plus the ability to read a box score automatically lands you a job uh, in a field that's much more clearly defined than it was when we were out there doing it. Um, and it's in many cases clear that uh, teams and leagues want to hire somebody with academic credentials plus sports experience. On the other hand, there are about 500, literally, schools of all kinds that are teaching law administration, marketing, politics, business, all of that. So what, what do we make of that trade-off? Do you think, it's, you think it's harder to break into the business today because of numbers or easier because of structure? You always think that, uh, that people doing things today, uh, that it's much easier for them than it was for us. And yeah, no, it, but it, it is because we're brighter and smarter and we have more perspective. How's that? <laughs> well, but no, I think in reality it, it is easier because the jobs actually exist. Now there right. may be a lot of competition for them. There is, uh, but they do exist, and they exist all over the place. I mean, I have a friend who's one of the world's leading actuaries, and he has a son who's a, a very, very brilliant statistician who works for CBS Sports, and he's behind the scenes every Sunday um, and during baseball season also, and you know he's feeding information. Uh, to the guys and women uh, that we see on the screen, so it runs, you know, it runs through the networks and the the news media in every one of its forms. 
and then into the front offices, uh, you know, of, of the teams, which are now run for the most part like real businesses. And they weren't at first. Yeah, clearly. And so I, I guess it is a trade-off, and, and I guess the traits of being successful are consistent uh, no matter what decade it is. got to be tenacious. You've you got to be uh, um, certainly smart, but you've got to have a competitive drive to succeed, and you've got to have a sense of, of, uh, of what it takes. Do you think there are maybe different skills today that people need than they did years ago? No, I think the skills are, to be honest, I think the skills are, it, it, I mean, it, look, the field I was involved in was representing players. I think the skills involved are similar to what they were to, to what they are today. We were the first people that I know of uh, that, that actually presented to an owner in a negotiation or a general manager, whoever you were negotiating with, analytics. Why, you know, why my player deserves to be worth more than some other player. Um, analytics today, of course, is that's what sports are all about. Uh, they're analytics in terms of representing players. They're analytics, uh, you know, play by play, uh, pitch by pitch in baseball and uh, who's on the court in basketball and, and so forth. Uh, that's, you know, that's something that was not there in the late 70s. Let's get a little more contemporary to present day. Project ahead a little bit. Uh, your numbers today are incredible. We can talk about what Mookie Betts signed for, and I know we have a common friend, although you represented him from a business perspective. Uh, there was nobody better at third base maybe ever than Mike Schmidt, and he would lament, maybe not seriously, that he was born about 30, 25 years too early. Uh, what do you think of today's salaries? I know they're all relative, but what's your thought? Well, I mean, my thought is I wish I was an agent today. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I lament more than Mike Schmidt. I mean, Mike doesn't really talk about it. I, I, I assume he must think about it from time to time. But Mike signed a contract in 1981 uh, for six years. He was already had already been on the team about seven years. Um, he, he was, without question, uh, I think the best third baseman of his era, probably of all time. But you, you had Brooks Robinson at third in those days, and, and you had George Brett. And Mike uh, signed a six-year deal. My recollection is uh, it was $2 million a year guaranteed for the six years, and, and, and uh, 3 to 5% increases every year during, uh, during the term. For five of the six years, it was the highest contract in baseball. My guess is today Mike would be $45 million um, and eight or ten years. I mean, that, that kind of growth is just unthinkable. It, it's, it's, it's truly astounding. Um, I'm not sure how – I cannot figure out how the economics work in those deals. Um, obviously, it's, you know, less, it's less complicated in baseball because you don't have a salary cap. You just have a luxury tax. It's much more complicated um, in football where you have salary caps and, and basketball uh, where you have very complicated salary caps. Uh, you know, the players are the talent. We don't pay to see owners, even though we see them sitting in their box every week wearing a nice suit um, and chatting it up with somebody, their wife or whoever. Uh, but that's not who we pay to see. We pay to see the talent. And, it's, and frankly, it's no different than in the movie business, uh, TV, any kind of entertainment business. And so I guess the answer is uh, if somebody's willing to pay and you're the talent, uh, you know, you've got a, you, you have a great situation.
the money is distributed very, very unevenly. I mean, you know, the whole concept is I'll pay a couple people and then I'll have a, there's so much talent around. I'll have a bunch of other people that aren't making anywhere near the same amount of money. Listen, for you, it's a great mantra. Once an agent, always an agent, although you've had other perspectives. Uh, Sunbeam, Toll Brothers, you've been a corporate guy. You've been a a lawyer. You represented uh, complicated uh, business transactions on behalf of people. So I think it's probably a good time during the holidays and beyond to give people a Christmas present and to talk about kind of the future. I know it's a much more structured and much more difficult time. Uh, let's assume that uh, we have a an amazing present called the vaccine, and let's assume we're out there moving around, whether it's six months, five months from now, or whatever. Uh, what have we learned from a business perspective more than anything? else and how is covid going to impact the business of sports over the next few years and i don't just mean revenue reduction i just mean you know behavior and and things that might be important well that's that's a tough question and and you know one i, I didn't really expect to hear but i i think first of all um people are dying for their old outlets so i think sports once uh you know the lid comes off Sports are, are going to be um, extremely important to people. Uh, I, I, they, right now, you know, the statistics are people take on recreation at, at, at greater levels. Golf is an example, which some people felt was a dying sport. I mean, participation itself by, the, by ordinary people like you and me uh, has been down for years. Um, participation all over the country now in golf everybody's rounds are up because people want to get out. They want to have recreation. People are dying to go to football games. People are going to be dying to go to baseball games. So I think sports are going to um, have a tremendous advantage. And for, you know, for reasons that are, I guess, financial, particularly in terms of who owns sports and the fact that they have the TV contracts, uh, they're going to be ready to go on day one. Whereas other parts of the economy uh, that, we, that we use for our enjoyment, like restaurants, movie theaters, etc., I, I have no idea how many of them are going to survive and how long it's going to take to rebuild uh, you know, that, that fabric. Um, but you know, sports are, are I, I, financially, I assume, uh, limping along at, at a break-even or a little better but they're but they're there. Um, some of it is, is very difficult to understand, like college sports. I don't understand exposing kids to what they're being exposed to for no compensation. Why you know why that's appropriate? Um, but the pro sports have done reasonably well. Uh, football, for example, which I thought was a terrible idea to play. It seemed to me that guys being on top of each other. It was going to be uh, easy to see incredible COVID outbreaks, and it's it's done okay without creating a huge health risk. It's hard to say what you know what what the world will like look like at all after uh, a pandemic. But one of the things that's great about sports is you see people of all different uh, ethnicities, colors, backgrounds, etc., working together as a team, and that's something that's a great model for what we should be doing you know, as a country in terms of taking care of each other and uh, trying to stay safe. What a holiday wish from Paul Shapiro. Uh, I will tell you that Paul is, uh, I'm honored to have him as a friend. He's, he's one of the one of the most uh, important kind of guiding lights in the sports business. And 
He just recently taught me the claw grip on the golf course, which will improve my putting strokes about uh, maybe six or seven strokes around. Paul, thank you. One of the biggest and brightest stars on the corporate side at Major League Soccer got his start in Palm Beach County at Florida Atlantic, receiving his MBA from the Sport Management Program. Who is it? What's his story? We'll find out next. It's the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 106.3. Turn here on ESPN 106.3. I'm Ken Levicka, and you hear me talking all the time about the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. 21 years of guiding future sports professionals. This is your path. Just log on to fau.edu slash sport to find out more, including spring semester classes. And someone who I've known for an awful long time and uh, someone who got his MBA in sport management with Florida Atlantic and Dr. Jim Reardon is Nick Salerno. He is a brand ambassador manager with MLS. He's one of those success stories that we reference so often, and he joins us here on ESPN 106.3. Nick, first of all, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. And uh, what a a wild year in MLS. The season got underway, and then it stopped playing, and then you had the MLS's back tournament, and then you got back to home sites. You just recently crowned a new champion in Columbus Crew, uh, and now it's already looking ahead to next year. How, How taxing and exhausting and wild has this year been uh hey ken uh thanks for having me it's been uh it has been a long time coming since we last spoke it's been a it's been a crazy year um you know we were fortunate and able to get things up and running and be in the first league back in the bubble with mls with our mls's back tournament in orlando but it's been great um you know we it's been a tough year for all the leagues and teams and but you know we came out the other side we're able to to get through the season and uh we're looking forward to a great 2021 so before we dive into your role in mls and all of the things that uh are bullet pointed under uh, brand ambassador manager i want to talk about your path and so I knew you in a capacity where you were working for Learfield. And so uh, what that is for anybody who might not be familiar, Florida Atlantic and many universities marketing arm, it comes via Learfield, which is now Learfield IMG College. That has evolved since Nick was there. And so that's technically when I'm calling FAU football and basketball games, my employer. And uh, so I knew Nick through that. But uh, Nick, your your path is long and extensive. And so if you could just go back to your decision to get your MBA in sport management why did you decide that you wanted to go that route and why the MBA sport management program at FAU yeah yeah, great question Uh, you know when I when I graduated from undergrad at Florida State I always wanted to be in sports right I I think I was always fascinated by the industry Um, I played sports growing up baseball basketball golf um, and just really wanted to get into the business side of things. Um, wasn't too sure about the particulars, but after uh, undergrad, I had the opportunity to work in the sponsorship sales uh, department for the New York Yankees uh, coming out of college and uh, really opened up my world to, to the world of sports. And um, I decided that I wanted to go back and, and get my MBA in sports management because this was a career that I wanted to pursue. And um, I was looking at the top programs, and FAU was was on my radar. Uh, you know, being one of the best there is in, in the U.S., and and knowing uh, the type of talent that they produce out of the program, um, it was able to give me an experience like none other. I mean, I would not have had the opportunities 
um, that I had throughout my career without that MBA in sports management and in the program that Dr. Reardon runs. Um, for me, I would say, you know, after, when I was in the program, the key for me was doing as much as you can, right, and not sure. and not taking the easy route. You got to take the harder route. And at one point, I think I was working three jobs. I was working for the Delray Beach Open. I was working as a game day staff assistant for the Dolphins. I was working doing FA ticket sales. I mean, I was working seven days a week at one point, uh, and then going to get my MBA as well. And you know, it it, it proved it's worthwhile. I then you know after my second year, I went to work for Learfield, like you mentioned. Um, with their team and the sponsorship team and working with their, their partners. And then, um, you know, I was able to transfer online. Uh, I had a semester left, and I was able to land a, a full-time job with the New York Yankees. And honestly, what set me apart from that experience, from, from all the other candidates, was that MBA in, in sports management and all those experiences and, and being able to to say I've worked for all these different types of organizations, it really set me apart from the next candidate. So, honestly, I, I owe everything to uh, Dr. Reardon and his program. Nick Salerno is a perfect example of getting what you put in with that FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Again, find out more about it, fau.edu slash MBA Sport, fau.edu slash MBA Sport. So you head to the Yankees, and then the opportunity with MLS comes about if you could just sort of uh, detail your path to mls in what is to me one of the most fascinating if not the most fascinating professional sports league in the country absolutely um you know it's a great time to be at mls so so going back to the yankees i, I was at the yankees for almost five years uh in the partnership sales group and i always know that you know besides selling for a team and quite frankly one of the best teams in the world and having the power of the yankees brand um, I always wanted to sell at a national and international level, right? So at MLS, besides sponsorship sales for the league itself, we also sell um, sponsorships for U.S. soccer, uh, the Mexican national team, and CONCACAF. Hmm. Um, so we really are the, the North American sports marketing arm for soccer, right? So when that opportunity came about, I, uh, I jumped on it, and um, I haven't regretted the decision. It's been over two years now, and uh, it's been great, and it's really rounding me out as a salesperson, and, and you know, still today, I'm using a lot of things from the NBA Sport Managing Program as I now am managing a couple employees, and, and having those managerial skills that I learned in the program are, are coming uh, full circle. You know, it's interesting that you bring up skills that you learned in the FAU MBA Sport Management Program because, as we discuss a lot, the sports industry is so diverse. And I think that there are some people that just pigeonhole it into broadcasting or pigeonhole it into front office or into agency work. But there's sales work. There's branding work. Uh, You, you were working in tickets. You were working in overall university marketing. You then went on and sold for the Yankees and now you're working in uh, really one singular capacity but handling a couple of different aspects of that from a sales standpoint with MLS when it spans across soccer and it really reaches every corner of the continent uh, I think it's sometimes difficult for people to fully comprehend how wide the industry is and how attainable it is if you put in the work absolutely I I agree I think you know that that's the big key and 
I think even when I interview folks now is is seeing what the candidate has done to this point and what they're willing to do and what lengths they're willing to do to make their dream a reality, right? I think there's so many people out there, as you well know, that want to work in sports, right? And they ask, hey, how, how do I do this, right? And I think, you know, one thing I always recommend is, you know, if you're not sure, try to find a program for you. Maybe it's not Maybe maybe it's going to get your MBA in sports management because that opened up so many doors for me, opened up so many opportunities, was able to network with so many different folks. Um, it allowed me the opportunities I have today. And quite frankly, a lot of friends that I have in the industry came from that program. Um, and I always say, you just never say no to an opportunity. Uh, just always be willing to do what you can and, and be the best teammate that you can um, You know, in the office. That is extremely good advice, and uh, that's advice that I actually think uh, <laughs> I may uh, I may rip from you with your permission to uh, pass along to our interns here at ESPN West Palm once some normalcy gets back and we can uh, have interns back in the office. I think that's a really great way to put it. Again, Nick Salerno, uh, Brand Alliance Manager, MLS. You're based out of New York City, right? Yes, based out of New York City. Um, so it was an interesting, interesting time here with the pandemic, but I'm actually down here and south florida for the holidays came back a few weeks before with my wife um in november and just hanging out down here while our office is closed and working remotely so again nick salerno florida state to fau for the nba sport management program got his mba went on to work for the yankees but all the while before the yankees he's uh helping with the dolphins he's helping with learfield the marketing arm of florida atlantic uh he is doing the delray tennis open and now he is brand alliance manager with mls and they're getting set for another season quickly nick what now that the mls cup has been handed to columbus and you guys are looking at 2021 what did the next couple of months look like for you yeah you know for us for me in particular it's all about uh looking for new partners and uh, trying to onboard these partners for the next season right and uh hopefully where the plan is to go forward and and uh get this season up and running as usual and uh you know i think with the vaccine right around the corner we've got uh, a lot of good things coming our way so it's going to be a lot of a lot of excitement. We saw a lot of excitement with the the crew and in Seattle, and you know I think a lot of partners now are are seeing soccer and, and, and the growth that it has in this country and uh, want to be a part of it. So it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, down here in South Florida, we're hoping for a little bit more offense from Inter Miami yeah. next year, and uh, we'll see we'll see what uh, what they can put together. Uh, Nick, awesome to catch up with you. Congratulations on everything, all the work you're doing with MLS again. Brand Alliance Manager Nick Salerno, he got his MBA in Sport Management at FAU, and now he is living his dream in the sports industry. Nick, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Good to talk. Likewise, Ken. Thanks again for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Nick Salerno, FAU MBA Sport Management Program. He's doing big things with Major League Soccer. More Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic after this on ESPN 106.3. We got to go. That's a wrap for us here on the Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. On behalf of Rick Haro, Paul Shapiro, and Nick Salerno, I'm Ken Lavica. Hope everybody has a great, great holiday. We'll talk to you next Wednesday for our year in review sports business in 2020. It's been The Boardroom presented by the Honda Classic on ESPN 106.3.